So we've all been there, right? We've all been on the edge of some great height. Like uh, maybe the Rocky Mountains, you stand on a cliff looking over. Been on top of a skyscraper, just kind of look down. And you feel that surge of adrenaline rush through your veins and that, like, that knot in your stomach. You're just like, that's a long way down there. Gosh. <laughs> and, and I like to think of this like in, in terms of professors. So you have certain professors who have like a greater tolerance for the fear of heights. On the one end of the spectrum, you've got Chris Dewelt. And Chris Dewelt just naturally operates at a higher altitude than most people. <laughs> so he's just like moving along. He gets to the edge. He's like, it's usual. It's normal. And then somewhere in the middle, you have people that you just don't really know where they stand because you just can't read them. So you've got professors like Aaron Wheeler who just don't show emotion. And they're just like... And then, like, on, on the other side over here, you've got, like, professors like Bob Witte. He just operates, like, a lot closer to the ground. <laughs> and uh, he expresses a lot of emotion, so if he's scared, you're going to know it. <laughs> and for me, when I started rock climbing, I definitely thought I was closer to the Chris DeWelt side. I, uh... I'm pretty tall, so like I'm, I'm not as tall as Chris, but like I, I thought that would play to my advantage. Um, I assumed I was fearless when I got up there, but in my innocence, I was wrong. Drew Welch convinced me to go on rock climbing trips with Discovery Ministry, uh, Discovery Ministries, the last couple of years. And so the first time I got out there, like I get on a rock wall, and I realized very quickly how great my fear of heights is. I get up there and I start like trying to climb. And the first thing that, one of the things they tell you is like, don't climb with your arms, climb like a girl, climb with your legs. But I get up there and I'm like a stick man on the wall trying to hold on to the, like the rock wall and it's just not working for me. I'm super scared. And like, it was one of those things though where like I start out really sucking at rock climbing and then I gradually like progress through like the stages and I started out really struggling with like a 5.6 or a 5.7, which is like pretty beginner-ish. And then I started moving up to the big leagues, a 5.8, which is like, if you have any rock climbers in the room, uh, that's not that hard, by the way. It's like, so I go out there my second year and I'm trying, like it's the last climb of the weekend, the climbing weekend that we're on. And it is a 5.8, my first 5.8. And what it is, is there's this crack in the wall, like this little slope down at the bottom, this crack up the wall, and then there's an overhang, handhold up here, you scramble up there, and then there's another, like, overhang about three or four feet above that. So what you end up getting into, like, I got up to this position, is I was, like, standing here, hanging on this jagged overhang, and standing on this round overhang, like this. And it's awkward. And my next move is way up here. Like, and I can't even, like, reach as far as it was. So what I had to do is I had to, like, reach my foot up here, push off of that foot, and do this dynamic, like, move where I grab a three-finger hold right here. I was scared. <laughs> and so I, I, I didn't know what to do, and I froze there for, like, five minutes. And like down there, my belayer's just like, come on, get up there. Like, I was like, no, I'm here. So I finally am just like, I've got, it's now or never. I just got to go for it. 
And so I, I do the move. I put, like get my leg up there, push off of that, go for the three-finger hold, and I fall. <clears throat> the rope catches me. <laughs> I'm like, cool. And you know what? It's funny. <laughs> I didn't die down there. <laughs> but yeah, no, uh, the rope catches me. And it, it was like in that moment that I realized I could do this because I had, I had something catch me if I fell. So I go up, like they, they caught me, like put me on the, the same position again. And I'm stuck there, but like I have this newfound courage because I know that if I fall, I've got something to catch me. So I go up for the move again. I can't remember if it was the second or the third time. Go, go for the three finger hold. It sticks. I'm like, wow. <laughs> and then I get my elbow up there and I scramble up the rock and the rest of the climb was cake. Like it was, it was literally a slope like that. And I made my first 5.8. It was incredible. It's like, what? I, I got to do that. That's awesome. And I think our journey in transformation in a lot of ways is like rock climbing. You see, you have to trust to experience transformation. Trust, I would go so far as to say, is trust is the foundation of transformation. But we've like run into these roadblocks, these obstacles in our journey of transformation because we fail to trust God in some really vital ways. So the first thing that we really fail to trust God in is in his loving grace. Our struggle is that for some reason... We just don't get it. We don't understand grace. Wounds and worldly wisdom distort our vision of grace. Trust is broken. Rash words are spoken. Failure and shame cloud our vision. And we may not be living in it now, but it's colored how we see the world. On the other side of things, you have just people who don't care. They're apathetic. Like, they don't care to transform. But either side of that still lives under the message of the world. Don't fail. The world doesn't like failures. And it hurts. It's like, you know, when you do fail, you're just like, am I worth anything? So when we operate out of this basic fear, you kind of become like me on that rock wall. You're, you're clingy. You're just like, you try to hold on for dear life and you become warped. You get contorted in these weird ways. We miss the loving purpose of God for humanity or worse, we coast along in calculated apathy on the lazy river of life. But just like that rope catches us when we fall, we can trust because there is now no condemnation for us in Christ Jesus. And it's really important to come back to this truth again and again. The truth that there is now no condemnation, but also that God loves us regardless of our failures. We sing songs like Reckless Love, Good Good Father, how he loves, like those have been anthems that have characterized my time at Ozark. And we sing those because we need that truth in our hearts. Like, if you want to get somebody into a a worship service, like play one of those songs. 
And it's just, it's going to hit people. They attack that lie right at its roots and give us perspective. And I remember a few years back, Randy preached this sermon. It was in like his, the sit, walk, stand series. And he said this phrase that just stuck with me. It's just, let God sing over you. Let God sing over you. I think everybody here needs to hear that. We need to hear God sing over us. But there's more. And like we heard from Josh about this a little bit. How God actually speaks to us through his still small voice. Or even like seeing something in front of us. About how he loves us. And it's crazy. Uh, just like I've experienced that in my own life. Not like, like, not like Josh. I was like blown away by that. Where like he, he actually saw God there present. I was like man. That's awesome. But for me, it's more like that still small voice. And it's like he's on repeat. He's like, Samuel, I love you. Samuel, I love you. Samuel, I love you. And I'm like, gosh. <laughs> but and, and, and you're probably like, yeah, we know. We hear that all the time. We sing the songs. Gosh. But there's a reason he says it. We honestly have such short memories. Like, it's like, are you, are you listening? And, but we can rest in God's grace. We can rest in God's love. Um, it says actually in the Bible, so like sometimes I start doubting that this is actually God because I'm like, can God say this that many times? Like, is that him? But regardless of whether, like it's always him or not, because I, I know I've heard the voice of God sometimes and there's sometimes where I was like, I don't think that was him. But regardless of whether it's him or not, it says in Romans 8, 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And in Romans 5, 5, it says, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he has given to us. So God clearly says in Scripture that he is conf- like he's going to confirm that grace, that loving kindness it's an incredible truth. And I'm challenging you guys. Remember that every single day. There's no fall too catastrophic for God to pick you up from, for God to catch you. Trust God in this and reflect on the power of Christ's incarnation, death, resurrection, and ascension. And return every single day. Reflect on the gospel. Peter Buckland says that if you meditate on the love of God 10 minutes a day, it'll change your life. We need to be so founded in the love of God that we are world changers. Because we just are oozing that. Like a sponge, you squeeze us and love pours out. So when we, I think about this, it's just like God's love is, is just like a bottomless ocean. You can play on the surface, like it can seem shallow at first, like if you're out in, your, in the boat with your like with your inflatables, like going cruising or whatever. But like when you actually like start trying to like sink down to the bottom, you're not going to be able to reach its depths. And Paul prays about this in Ephesians. He says, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all God's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses all knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of of the fullness of God. It's like God says, I love you. And sometimes we can say like, Josh, I know. And we get caught in our failures 
other times and say, I don't deserve it. God says, I still love you. My grace is sufficient for you, for its power is made perfect in your weakness. No. I failed you. God says, I still love you. I don't love me. You can love because Christ first loved you. And if God is God, the things he speaks are true because he says them. Just like it was when he said, let there be light. Let that sink in for a second. If God is God, things that he speaks are true. Just like when he spoke, creation came into existence. Because of God's love, we're going to give more effort, not less. There's a temptation in our hearts to think, man, I don't deserve God's. Like, I, I, it's going to actually hold me back. God's love is actually going to hold me back because I'm going to come, become complacent, but it doesn't do that. Instead of giving us a heart of earning and works or complacency, it gives us a heart of worship and love. That's what it creates in us. So it speaks both to the complacent Christian and to the addict who can't escape their sin. And this like leads well into the next aspect of grace that we just don't get. We don't understand. The next aspect, like where we fail to trust God. We've been talking about loving grace. God's power. Honestly, we doubt God's power today. Um, but that's foundational for transformation. It's how we get from here to there. And I struggle with this. Most people do. We honestly have short memories but we worship like God, oh God who's alive today. We worship a God who's alive today. And I remember growing up in New Guinea, like we, we drive on all these crazy mountain roads and uh, on, oftentimes you'd have like a steep drop off on one or the other side. It'd be, it'd be crazy, honestly, sometimes. And then you'd get landslides everywhere. So roads were sketchy to say the best. <laughs> but um, so we're driving back home one night from town and it's late. We never drove in the dark, or at least we usually did. We're, we're driving back home and uh, we get to our driveway, which is a mile and a half long because it's New Guinea and uh, get back in. And my dad's walking out the next morning, like just following the tire tracks in the mud, just kind of like, huh, okay. You know, having his morning walk, whatever. Um, he gets out to this point where like the road is, just imagine the road's going this way, and the tire tracks kind of go off this way. And there's this edge right here. Tire tracks actually go off the edge of the road. And then later, they come back on. And I don't know where our car was for that 20 feet. But I do know that my dad prayed every single time before we leave Jesus, would you send your angels as our front and rear guard? So my only explanation is that something, like that an angels or some miracle happened there. And it's like, we see miracles throughout the Bible. We doubt that he can still do it, but like God did that in the Bible. And they would look back and they remember these things and they said, God, do it again. And I want to say that God wants to do a miracle in your life, but he wants to work a miracle of transformation. When Jesus spoke to the disciples and said, they will know you are Christians. It wasn't about, like, they will know you are Christians by your music. They will know you are Christians by your preaching. They will know you are Christians by your church camps, by your buildings. No, they would know 
We are Christians by our love, by transformed lives pointing back towards him. And the incredible power of the gospel is that we no longer have to live in sin. Christ has set us free from that. Do you believe that? If he can, if he can do miracles like that, he can, he can transform us. And it says it actually in Romans. Um, hitting Romans a lot today. But he says it in Romans. Um, let's see. Romans 6, you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. We don't have to go back to it. We've been set free. And it doesn't mesh with our experience, but it's still true. We don't have to walk in that. It's been cool as I've been preparing for this sermon. In my life, I've been experiencing greater and greater freedom from sin. This sermon has actually transformed me as I've let this truth sink in. It's possible. I don't think we'll ever walk in perfection, but we can grow and transform. Trust is the foundation for transformation. Trusting in God's grace and God's power is necessary, but so is trusting in God's way. So, like in rock climbing, you have the route. You have roads. Trusting in God's way is just as important as God's grace and power. Transformation a lot of times happens in the wilderness of life, if you will. Before Christ came, we couldn't find a way. He wa- like we wandered helplessly lost in circles. And then Christ comes along, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, and he blazes this trail, this trail to freedom, this trail that we need to follow. And honestly, you cannot experience God's transformation without following that way. God sets the terms, not us. When we raise that white flag of surrender and we wave it. And his call is this. Come and take up your cross daily and follow me. And and honestly, I used to struggle with that. I felt limited in my faith journey by rules. But it was only when I came to understand that, like, that God's way is a way of grace. It's actually a grace that we have those rules. They are there to give us life. Jesus came that we might have life and life abundantly. The thief came to steal, kill, and destroy. And when we leave the way, we enter into darkness, destruction, and we enter in, back into the death that we used to live in. Eternal life starts now. Let's start living it. And there's this really cool truth. Like, we, honestly, this is really cheesy, but Jesus is the way. Like, it's like, do you know the way? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah, Jesus is the way. And Paul tells us, be imitators of Christ. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Put on Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is not only our model, he is our method. And we become Christ through Christ. As we walk in the Spirit, in some sense, that cheesy question that we all make fun of, what would Jesus do, is actually really valuable. So as we trust as trust is the foundation for our transformation, we walk by grace in God's power 
and in God's way. So what does that look like? One of my favorite authors, honestly, is Watchman Nee. And he writes this book, or this story about a neighbor, uh, one of the members of his congregation that came and talked to him, a Christian, an Asian Christian. And this Asian Christian had a horrible neighbor. Some of us have those in the dorms. <laughs> Some of us are those in the dorms. Um, but he had a horrible neighbor. And what his neighbor kept on doing is he had these, like, rice patties. Uh, I know, right? But, like, where he would, he would, he's Asian, but I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> All right. So he has this rice patty, and there's a, a wall around it, and that holds water in. His neighbor has a rice patty below him. He comes out one day after, like, after having filled it up the day before, and the wall is broken. All the water has flowed down into his neighbor's rice paddy. It's not too hard to put two and two together to figure out who's done it. Uh, so he fixes the wall, fills it up again, comes back out. Happened again. His neighbor was, just wanted all that water. And he, this keeps on happening. It keeps on being this repeating cycle where the Christian comes out and he wants with all of his heart to follow Christ and to love his neighbor. And he just can't muster it up. All he feels in his heart is anger, bitterness, and unforgiveness. So he goes to watch him and he's like, what do I do with this person? And Watchman, he tells him, you know what your problem is. All this time you've been seeking to follow the ideal of love. And what you really needed to do is put on Christ. And so then the Christian goes back. And the next time it happens, instead of rebuilding the wall, he fills his neighbor's rice paddy first, repairs the wall, and built, like fills his after that. And so in that way, he put on Christ. Trust is the foundation of transformation. You know what's cool? That neighbor later became a Christian. Through God's example. Trust is the foundation of transformation. We walk by, in God's grace, by God's power, in God's way. And there's no fall too catastrophic for God to pick you up from. Fear will hold you back, but grace will set you free. God's power is fighting for you, but you must walk in the way of Christ. So I'd like to kind of end us out with a poem. It's something I'm trying out this semester. It's been really cool. Uh, And it kind of ties our series together. Left behind, left behind. As we rush forward, what have we left behind? Rapture theology and revelations. Tim LaHaye's message to the nations. Water bottles and kind friends books. Leaving us with thirsty throats and dirty looks. Dorms of college and professors' demands. Leaving us with tomes of knowledge and fitted hands. Left behind, left behind. As we rush forward, what have we left behind? Have we left behind idolatry for divinity or comfort for calling? Have we left behind independence for interdependence or sin for transformation? It's a gift to progress, you know. Now of what will you let go?